Before we get any further, just do a quick introduction. Most people probably already know who you are, but you know, a little bit about your background, who you are. Yeah, so my name's Sean Larkin. Uh, a lot of people know me as Sticks. I'm now a retired police lieutenant. Uh, even though I didn't like the title of lieutenant, I still went by sergeant all the time. Uh, from the Tulsa Police Department in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, previously was on the, the hit show over on A&E called Live PD. We're now with On Patrol Live on Reels and a couple other things I've been very fortunate to spin out into and hopefully we'll chat about those. Yeah, and I've had the honor of actually training with uh, Tulsa. I was I was there for a week a few years ago, was at the academy and there was a there's like a medic course, um, yeah. the triple C course. And man, what a great facility you guys have out there. Just the just the whole training academy. Uh, the shoot house was great. You guys have like the competition shooting set up as well. Um, also really invests, it seems. That's one of the things that I've learned through being a part of these television shows and, you know, getting the opportunity to talk to numerous other officers. I didn't know how different the academy situation was across the country. Um, you know, there, there's some states I've talked to people, they have, they, everybody goes to a state academy and then you branch out to different departments. Well, here in, um, in Oklahoma, we are governed by what's called CLEAT, which is the Council for Law Enforcement Education and Training. And they do operate academies throughout the state, you know, for your smaller agencies. But Tulsa, Oklahoma City, I think a lot, and maybe Bartlesville, which are our four largest, you know, department cities in the state, we operate our own academies. Tulsa, um, you know, I came on in 1997, and they've been operating their own since well before that. And just as you said, we actually have a sales tax. They call it a safety sales tax there in Tulsa. That money goes both to the police department and the fire department. Um, and so the academy of the police, the Tulsa Police Academy, the fire academy are both, you know, fantastic facilities. In fact, Tulsa's is so nice that other, even federal agencies in the area, you know, kind of within the tri-state area, use it for courses, classes, just like you said, you know, you've shown up out there and things like that. So we're, we're very, very fortunate. Yeah, it was a great facility. And I think we went even to there's like a fire, like a fire town where they where they can, you know, we did some uh, CS gas exposure there, which yep. was super cool. Uh, but yeah, you can definitely tell there's a, a huge investment in, you know, in public safety out there. Um, and plus like the training and first off the gym you guys had, I know it's kind of been revamped since last time I've been out there, but man, it was all rogue, super nice equipment. It's all CrossFit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. man. I got a funny story on that. So Man, I started CrossFit uh, back in November of 2006, and that's back when like there were less than 100 CrossFit gyms worldwide, and I think now there's like 12,000. And so there was me and a couple other guys at the time. I was on uh, I was on the SWAT team and uh, was doing a little boxing, and so we had kind of found these guys that were doing a bunch of kettlebell work through some online stuff. So we started using that for conditioning. And one of the guys named Brandon Wyckoff, he ended up seeing. CrossFit stuff. So we started doing CrossFit in our buddy's garage. I mean, three of us that were on the team were doing it. We have a 30 man team. Everybody else was making fun of us because it was just so different from the traditional, you know, Monday, I'm going to do chest and tries, you know, Tuesday, I'm going to go run a 5k Wednesday, I'm going to do back and buys that type of stuff. And, um, the guy that actually helped get all the CrossFit stuff that's up at the gym now, you know, fast forward a decade, he was one of the biggest anti-CrossFit guys. And then he finally bit the bug and got into it and underst you know, understood the, you know, it, like I said, hey, listen, it's not for everybody. I'm a firm believer in it. Uh, but uh, the conditioning aspect of it, you know, that our, that our recruits, you know, that, that go through now all do it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it was absolutely top notch. During lunch, I would just go in there and get a couple, you know, do a little quick little circuit and then, you know, go back to class. But, you know, and plus, you know, just the officers there were super nice. But I want to kind of dive into why did you even get into law enforcement? What was back in 97 when you were like, hey, it's time. Yeah, so I'm a, uh, I'm a product of the California public school system. I grew up in the Bay Area. Uh, man, I, I did. I lived in this city of San Francisco and I graduated high school in 1992. So I mean, I don't know how old you are. I, I turned 49 here this week, actually. But I'm 34. The, okay. All right. You're a cute little baby. Thanks, no, uh, no. But uh, the growing up in that era, man, I grew up in, you know, the Bay Area is just this. I mean, it is a melting pop and hip hop kind of just rules that area. Like everybody there, doesn't matter what race you are, school you go to. That's just what everybody in that era did, thought, thought you were, et cetera. 
And so I grew up with the kind of the way uh, crack cocaine exploded in the late 80s and early 90s and criminal street gangs, kind of like how we know them today, because that was kind of the big time when it all exploded. Um, and so a lot of the guys that I was around got in trouble and I was just fortunate to be one of these guys that was just always on the outskirts. I was around them, just my, I myself never got you know in trouble. Well, my father was in the military 32 years. My mom was in 20. And so I kind of came from this structured background and I had a love of sports and I was like, I wasn't good enough to compete in collegiate sports. And so I either wanted to go into like sports medicine, just so I could still be around athletics or I wanted to be a cop. And, uh, about the end of my junior year of high school, I made that decision. You know, I was going to go the police route. So I, I, I kind of, I don't tell this too often. It's pretty funny, but I had a teacher, she was a first year teacher in my senior year. And I was kind of like a, class clown jackass in this one particular class. And at the end of the senior year, you got to fill out this notebook of what you wanted to do. And I was, I said, I was going to move to Oklahoma and go to college because my mom's had family out there and I was going to become a police officer. I knew I needed to get out of the Bay area because I, I knew I wouldn't succeed if I stayed there. And she in front of the class said, Sean, that's your problem. You never take anything serious. Like just because I stayed, I was going to move to Oklahoma and be a cop. Anyway, so I did. I moved to Oklahoma. I went to junior college for for two years, uh, got an associate's degree, transferred on to a state school for my last two years. And because uh, the Tulsa Police Department, um, we were the first large agency of its size um, that required a, a four year degree. And we've required one now for 25 plus years, 26 years. And uh, so I had to get a degree. I did my internship there in Tulsa. I had no desire to stay in Tulsa. I thought I was going to go back to the West Coast and be a cop. And as soon as I finished my internship, man, they hired me right away. So that's how I ended up in you know Tulsa, Oklahoma. I had no plans to be there forever and still home to this day. Do you have any family there prior to moving? Or you just you no. My, my parents actually divorced my senior year, and uh, my father moved from the Bay Area down to San Diego. And my mom, her her mom and her sister lived on the outskirts of Tulsa, so she went out there. Um, and then it, I went out there, and it was kind of funny. Then everybody left, and I ended up being the only person there, and I was the one that hated it the most. But now everybody's kind of come back. I mean, my sister, my brother, both my my parents remarried. I mean, that's a whole nother podcast, but. Uh, everybody's back in the, the Tulsa area now. Wait, so your mom and dad divorced and got back together? Got yeah, like yeah, like 12 years later or something man, like that. they just needed a break, man. That's it, ex- that's it. Everybody does. Yeah, <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> so, okay, so you know, so you got into law enforcement, you're in Tulsa, and obviously you started on patrol, assuming, right? What was that? Was, was it something you fell in love with? Is it something you had to kind of really adapt to? Was it a new culture? What was your, you know, what were your initial thoughts getting into law enforcement? No, it, it, it was, um, I mean, I loved it from day one and I, I say this going back to how I grew up. I, I've my whole career on the police department minus one year I spent working in, in the black community in Tulsa, which is our, the North part of our city. That's where I wanted to work. It's where I was very comfortable. Um, you know, I mean, people make fun of, you know, Oklahoma. I mean, we, we do have running water. We do have internet, you know, things like that out there, but we're a good size city. I mean, I'm, I mean, you know, we, our police department's a little over 800 officers. So we're a pretty good, good sized department, but I loved working that community because I grew up basically in and around it. I knew it, you know, and things like that. And so for me from day one, I knew that's where I wanted to work. And going back to it, just me as a kid being around, I think the people that I was around, you know, I kind of, it was, I don't want to say takes one to no one, but I understood, I guess, how bad guys work. You know, when you're driving down the street and you see a car that makes a quick left turn just because, you know, and in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, dude, they're turning because I see me because I see the police car, you know, and that's the car I want to go after. It's not because, you know, somebody's rolling four deep past me. You know, it's just, I felt like I had that little, um, understanding idea, I guess, how the gangsters worked. And so I just loved working there from day one. I, I even tell you the first night on my own, uh, you know, our academy six months long, then four months of field training. Very first night on my own, I got in a fight on a car stop, like 10 minutes before my shift ended. I was still out stopping cars. And, you know, that just that first night on my own, I was like, dude, I love it. I love it. Yeah. That fire when you first start is, is almost indescribable after you put in about, I would say about five years, you start to kind of forget why 
why you did it, or you start to kind of have a mind shift change. Did that ever happen to you? You know, obviously you have that fire and all of a sudden maybe you start getting different specialized units and then your kind of mind shift changes. When did that, when did that little shift happen for you? No, I, I loved patrol personally. Um, like, you know, I mean, that's the backbone of any police department. Obviously everybody, you know, there's other things you want to get in and do. And that's what I think is one of the beauties if you work for a larger department, because you do get burned out in places, whether it's you're burned out on your own squad mates, you're burned out on who your supervisor is, who your division commander is, whatever it may be. Um, if you work for a, you know, a larger department, you can bounce around and do different things throughout your entire career. Um, worked patrol for a few years, then went into what we called footbeat that what we had at the time. And you kind of patrolled the housing projects. You were responsible for a couple of them, you and your partner at the time. And you took, you had to do proactive patrols there, but you had to take every call that went out in the projects. And, uh, then I did a year in major crimes, homicide, then went back to what we called street crimes, kind of, you know, low level gangbangers, dope dealing, prostitutes, things like that. Uh, back to patrol. And then I promoted, did patrol for a year and a half. And then from then I moved into to the gang unit, basically. So um, I never got burned out in any spot. Um, my goal from day one on that department was to get in the gang unit. And, um, you know, it was, I was going to get on the department. I was going to get on the SWAT and then I was going to get in the gang unit. And I'm very fortunate, was able to do both things. Um, got into gangs and that was just my niche. And, you know, I stayed there, like I said, for about 13 years up until I retired. You know, I think having that ability to transfer between different units because you are with such a big department is a luxury, right? Because we get the questions all the time about, hey, is it better to work for a smaller agency or a larger agency? I think there's kind of pros and cons to everything. But I think one pro of working for somewhat of a larger agency is the ability to go to different units relatively, you know, relatively quickly if you'd like to. And obviously, if you prove yourself for the most point, is it was there, did you have to work to get in the gang unit or was it just something you applied to and you got in? Was it one of those yeah, places. you know, and, and just before I even get to that, something just when you talk about people asking you about working for a large department or small department, I've had a lot of people ask me about, man, should I be a street cop or should I go federal? And the answer I give them is like, listen, if you want to make more money and you want better benefits, go federal. You want a better retirement, go federal. But if you want action, if you want to chase bad guys, be a street cop, man. I mean, because in, you know, anybody who's been around both sides, you know, you know, the, the, you know, I'm not knocking the federal agencies, but I mean, they get all the glory that everybody talks about. They don't do a, I mean, the, an inkling of what the street cop here and, you know, in America does or what they deal with or put, you know, the number of times you're, stop, you know, putting handcuffs on a guy, they just don't. So, um, but to go to your answer, it, it uh, you had to have three years on the department before you can apply for any specialty unit. Um, at, when I had my three years on, they had openings on the SWAT team. Just timing was right. Tried out for the team, got on, and I was on seven years. Um, and that was same thing, like the foot beat unit, the street crimes unit and things like that. And it was, it was one of those deals. You have to obviously prove yourself. And the way some of these other supervisors that don't know you see this is be on the radio, be on the radio, stopping cars, get on there. You know, they hear you in a foot chase or car chase, things like that. Don't be a guy that gets a bunch of, uh, you know, um, complaints, um, you know, despite working in that community that I did and, and chasing gangsters, I, I never got complaints. Um, you know, I, I wasn't heavy handed. Don't go around punching people. Don't do, you know, don't do stupid stuff. That's going to get you in trouble basically. Um, but write good reports, write good field interview reports, show that you have an interest. You know, if you're interested in, get into the robber unit, try to set up on capers, just even as a patrol officer, you know, you have to be able to take these steps as a patrol officer. And hopefully you've got an older officer or a supervisor around you that kind of guides you that way. Um, but what's funny is I applied for the gang unit just before I had my three years on hoping that they would, you know, go, ah, oh, Sean Larkin's great. We want him in, even though he doesn't have the three, it didn't work out. So they didn't take me in, uh, the next uh, basic, I didn't get back in until I became a supervisor. There was a, a guy who had been there for 10 years. He was leaving and perfect transition. Yeah. And I want to kind of dive into what you talked about, about finding an older officer or finding some type of mentor. Did you have any mentors when you started out? I did. So uh, there's a guy by the name of Luke Sherman, um, who I actually met in college. So he was already on the police department and he had gotten hired like maybe three years before I did two or three years before I did. And at the time 
they didn't require a full year degree. They required, I think, 108 hours, which was three and a half years. And so he had, I was a college kid. He was already on the department. He had, uh, was taking classes at night, which is where I was going to school at. Cause I was working for Anheuser-Busch driving a beer truck in the day, Yeah, you but were. he and I had met in school and that's how, um, I actually ended up living with him, uh, you know, just before I got on the police department. And so when I got on, um, I got into the division that I want to work in the North part of our city. And then he reached out to his captain and was like, you know, Hey man, this kid's, you know, going to be good type of deal. Let me take him in the squad. So he actually even helped out me getting assigned to the same squad as him. And I worked around him for the first couple of years and just funny how our careers, um, you know, grew is he ended up becoming my suit. He was my supervisor in the street crimes unit because he had promoted. Um, and then I, once I promoted, we were the same rank. He ran the fugitive warrant task force. I ran the gang unit. So we obviously were always, you know, crossing paths on chasing bad guys and, and helping out on homicides. And then he promotes up to captain and he ends up becoming my division captain up until my retirement. So pretty much even before I got on the police department up to the day I retired, he and I were kind of around each other and, you know, he was help guiding me in a way. I think that's super important. I mean, I had mentors in law enforcement and business in life. And I think they are, if you can find a good one, they're always good to have around, always good to bounce ideas off of. And that could also be reason why some people are so fucked up right now is because they don't have that guidance. They don't have that mentorship. They don't have that resource to go to. So a hundred percent, like you said, not just, you know, on the police department, but in life. I mean, it's very cliche, but you know, you, you're supposed to surround yourself with people that are better than you. So they can try to, you can learn and grow from them. Uh, and you know, and like I said, you just mentioned, you've got kids, I've got kids. It's the same thing you preach to your kids, you know, even just their friends. It's like, man, put people around you that are, that are doing things right. That are, that are good people. Um, but just going back to what you're saying, and I know we'll probably, you know, dive further into it, but how much the job has changed is I see it both in experienced street cops and the field training officers, the quality of them just has declined in my opinion, greatly because, I remember when I was a young cop, a robbery would go out and, you know, they'd put out, I don't know, I'm just going to, you know, a, 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 a bubble Caprice, which was the old 92, 93, 91 Caprice style. I'm just dating myself, but they'd say, you know, a bubble Caprice, you know, three suspects all wearing, you know, red hoodies, whatever it may be. And even though this thing, this robbery didn't happen, like in our area, you might've been six miles south of us we would go set up at intersections and people would get on the radios like, Hey man, I'm sitting at Pine and Peoria. I'm sensing, I'm sitting at Cincinnati and Apache. You would just sit at these intersections that basically that funnel back into our part of the city. And people would just sit and watch for a bubble caprice with three guys coming through, you know? And that was something that was taught to us by some older officers or supervisors. And it was crazy how many times you could catch a robbery suspect, a shooting suspect, a, you know, a carjacking that just occurred. And this, those type of things, it's like, man, if it's not in my beat, it doesn't matter to me anymore. You know, they just don't pay attention to it. Yeah. And I think you brought a really good point too, is when I applied to my agency, there was probably, you know, they only released so many spots per year. And I want to say there was 800 or 900 applicants for like 30 or 40 spots. Now they're scraping, they're scraping bottles of barrels. Dude, our last academy, um, or there was one earlier this year, they canceled the academy because we didn't have enough qualified applicants. First time it's ever happened, you know, and just, just as you said, we had these large pools where you were taking, you know, the top two and 3% of applicants to fill your academy. And, and, and that's what happens. Now you start seeing, well, man, we got to fill these seats. Now we're taking the top 30, 40% of applicants. And so you get people that just aren't as qualified or that just don't really want to do the job. They're like, oh, I get, I get a paycheck every two weeks. I get insurance. Yeah, I'll do it. And they can do the absolute minimum and, and still get paid the same thing. The next guy working, you know, busting his ass is. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's very frustrating for those that actually give a shit. Right. And that's, and that's, and that's where I feel like internally within the profession, it's obviously a struggle, right? Very much as, so. And then as the public sees it, they're like, man, we need to increase the, increase the standards of law enforcement officers. And well, the guys in law enforcement know that. Yep. Yeah. We <laughs> don't dispute it. Yeah. No, it's, it, you know, it, and this kind of, kind of drives it into my next point is, you know, obviously being a good person, being the right person, being physically fit, being mentally capable to handle the job is, is obviously super important. 
And with that comes a massive responsibility to, you know, obviously keep training. And again, I do appreciate the shout out on the show the other day. Of course. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. And, you know, I really want to get into training and I want to talk about where you started training. And obviously as your career progressed going through, you know, street crimes, gang units, SWAT teams, and, and basically all the way up to your retirement, how training has progressed, uh, whether it's gear, you know, uh, outside sourcing of training and things like that. You know, um, again, I'm just going to go back to how fortunate we are in Tulsa. Um, our, the chiefs that I've worked for, the division commanders that I've worked for, um, obviously like the mayor's office, you know, that, that, that every single year we have sought out even federal grants, federal funding that's helped out for training and things like that. Whether it is, you know, grants are very specific. I mean, they can tell you this can only be used for equipment. This can only be used for training. This can only be used for overtime. And so we would constantly, have, you know, seek these things out that would help out with these type of things. Um, but the first, you know, three years on apartment, I'm 22 year old kid or 23 year old kid. You know, that's just young, dumb on my own. Um, you know, taking advantage of the range days that the open range to go up there and qualify and shoot. Um, and then when I knew I wanted to get on the team, um, you know, I, I, I notched up my physical fitness, you know, an, an, another bit. But, you know, I, like I said, being an athlete in high school and things like that, I mean, it was just always part of my lifestyle, I guess, was to stay in shape. Trying out for the team, I wanted to make it badly. Um, so, you know, really amp things up. And that's where I really, really started focusing in on my firearms. Um, I had never even shot a gun before until I got in the police academy. And I think, obviously, it's good and bad. If you come from a background or a family where people, you know, grow up shooting, you, you, you know, you can learn. But on the same note, I didn't have any bad habits going into the academy. You know, I, I was fresh and, and from, hey, this is the nomenclature of a handgun, blah, 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 and so forth. Um, and so throughout my entire career, I was very, you know, proficient, whether it's my pistol, shotgun, or rifle. And, you know, on the team, you know, the M4, we had the MP5s and, and, and that type of stuff. So we had training on SWAT every two weeks, um, every other Wednesday. And it was a full training day. And we rotated everything through, you know, just like probably any other team. I mean, you know, we started using uh, paintball guns very, very early on. Uh, like I said, this is in, I got on in 2000 and left in 2007. So I bet 2002 or three, we started using paintball guns for force on force. And the way our team was set up is we have three 10 man teams on there. So, you know, for activations and so forth. And we had a guy on our team um, by the name of Virgil Literal. And this guy, SWAT is his world, you know? I mean, that is what he is into. And so he was constantly researching, trying to find new stuff or testing ballistics of what a two, two, three round compared to at the time we were carrying forties for pistols, you know, what that would do through drywall. I mean, he was just doing that. He'd go up to the Academy and take pieces of drywall and do this stuff on his own. Started working with lights, you know, how to use different, you know, light curtains, peaks around corners and stuff. And so we, our team leader at the time, Dave Davis, he was all about, all right, let's give it a shot. Now the other two teams thought we were a bunch of idiots, you know, trying all this stuff that wasn't traditional old school SWAT. Um, and it's just part of the job evolving, you know, and, and now the whole team has moved on to a lot of the different things. But uh, I've been sent to ballistic shield courses put on by NYPD, um, L.A. County Sheriff's Office, the SEB out there. They are like our sister agency. So we send SWAT guys out there all the time to train out with L.A. County. Um, L.A. County, our gang unit, we send our guys out to L.A. County to go to uh, L.A. County gang schools every year. And so you get out there and you start establishing, you know, um, th these relationships and friendships with these guys. We send people up to Chicago. There's a, a, a my opinion, the best gang school probably in the country is, is in Chicago every single year. So we're just very, very fortunate. We've been able to send guys, you know, all over the place. But again, it's those it's those officers that the ones busting their asses, you know, that apply for it, or they come to us and go, Hey, you know, Hey Sarge, I found this school. I'd really like to go. Well, man, they're, they're, you know, putting a bunch of bad guys in jail and they're not getting complaints. Hell yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to send you there. Yeah. I think that's super important to have that one progressive supervisor or multiple progressive supervisors that are even willing to listen to those that, you know, maybe trying to bust their butt to bring new material to the table, whether it be gear, training, et cetera, that's super important. And it can be very frustrating when you 
do all this work, I'll do all this legwork and you present it and they're just, they just completely shut it down. And I think that's where one, you start to kind of, you start to kind of dull that fire of, Hey, we're trying to better ourselves. You're not letting us because of X. And they may be, you know, there may be a legitimate reason like, Hey, we don't have the money. Okay. That's the legitimate reason. Or it's just, you know, I've, I've heard this phrase before. I'm philosophically against it. Yep. Uh, oh yeah. Was, which was super interesting to hear. And, and, you know, I, I like to, well, what does that even mean? First off. Um, right. but you know, the fact that you were with Tulsa and you guys were able to go all over the country is, is, is great. And obviously it shows cause, cause a lot of the body cam footage coming out of Tulsa is usually, you know, pretty positive. Um, right. you know, like as it pertains, whether it's like a use of force or just, you know, just an overall incident with that being said on the patrol level, you know, obviously within service and stuff, obviously when you first started off to where, you know, to kind of when you left, did you see a change in, you know, training? Was there more scenario based type style training as, as you got on? You know, the training, I think nationwide, and and I'll definitely speak for Tulsa for patrol related has definitely gone down. I think we do a great job in our Academy. Um, You know, everybody, whether it's, even the basics for, you know, BJJ, you know, firearms, fitness, things like that, scenario-based type of stuff. I think we do a really good job of that. And obviously that's where it falls back. A lot of it does fall back on the officer, you know, yourself. I mean, you, you guys talk about it quite a bit and you got the Academy, dude, it's on you to, to keep sticking with your physical fitness, you know, getting in the gym and rolling with guys on the ground and, and you know, that type of stuff. That's, you have to have that professionalism, I think, you know, for, for the, job you've chosen to do to maintain that. Um, now, as far as scenario-based training and some of that type of things, it definitely has fallen off on, you know, Tulsa police department a lot. I remember when in-service training would be a week long. Then I remember when it got cut to three days a week and then it became two. Um, and now, yeah, you know, exactly. Then throughout the year, you have all of this online stuff that you're doing, um, you know, watching a video or reading something and you know, you know how it is. You get one guy in the squad. It's like, hey, such and such, dude, you watch this thing, get all the answers. And then everybody else, you know, they write the answers. Everyone else is just clicking a butt dick, 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 to the end. And then they're checking it off. Um, now, that's not for some of the physical, you know, aspects of the job. But we still do have our, you know, our yearly qualifications, obviously, for firearms. Um, some some we call it DTI, defensive tactics type stuff. Um, you know, and, and you're driving, but it definitely has changed a lot, but a lot of it has to do with the, the manpower, you know, our department, like everybody else is shorthanded. So you start losing specialty units down to the ones you have to have. Um, and so pretty soon you can't send all these guys from patrol up to the Academy for a full week because you need them back out on the streets. So they, you know, try to minimize it down to one in two days now. Yeah. And I'm assuming COVID also, put a hold on a lot of, you know, reoccurring training. Absolutely. Definitely. You know, you know, even though I'll say this Oklahoma, man, we kind of shut down for a very short time period. We were probably (laughs) one of the, one of the places in the country that uh, the mass didn't stay too long. I'll say that, but yeah. um, Yeah. It it was, uh, we were pretty much grinding regularly there. So yeah. Same here in South Carolina. Uh, We didn't, we didn't stay masked up quite too long. Once we kind of figured out what was going on, it was one of those, Okay, well, yeah, we're going to carry on now. That, that um, was pretty much it, yeah. But I, you know, but I have heard even now some of the code regulations they had on training are still being implied in some agencies. They're not yep. even allowing defensive tactics training. It, it's uh, some of the stuff you periodically still see out there. Uh, I, I mean, I just saw a, an, an organization in Tulsa. I'm not going to name them on it, but they were. Um, you know, having some Christmas gathering coming up. It's it's a, a business professional organization. And I had just looked at it and read the bottom of it. And it's talked about still following COVID protocols. Everybody, you know, must wear a mask. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, well, why, why? Okay. Why? Okay. Uh, well, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's it. So anyways, but yeah, it, and it does, it, it has affected, like you said, training around the country and so forth like that. Absolutely. Right. You know, to, uh, I'm going to talk about you getting older and training. Have you had to, you know, obviously modify, you stay in great shape, man. Cause I know you, you just, like you said, you're all about CrossFit. So, so um, you follow my only fans. I see. I do. I do. I mean, it's only $7 <laughs> a month. Why wouldn't I? It's well, I'm running a special for the holidays. <laughs> <$2.99. Okay. No. laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and that's, 
And that's super important. You know, you know, obviously kind of owning a fitness company, we talk about fitness being that foundation and then really everything is built off of that, you know, you know, kind of off of that foundation. But as you got older throughout your career, you know, obviously the law enforcement profession isn't an easy one on the body, right? Shoulders, knees, lower back, joints start to ache, things start to creak. Did you have to start modifying um, your gear or even start to ramp up certain exercises or, you know, change your gear, change your settings, train differently as you got older? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I don't lift as heavy as I used to for one. I mean, definitely, you know, I'm not trying to back squat or front squat or deadlift a bunch of weight anymore. Um, just because of, you know, lower back type of things through the years, uh, been fortunate, haven't had shoulder injuries, knee injuries and things like that. But this is, you know, something I've spoken about, like on, you know, some of the national news, um, shows that have been on is just, officers staying in shape and just how much it limits just injury on the job. I mean, you know, you, you hear the stories of guys that just get out of the car and hurt their back or, you, you know, and we all see the body cams of somebody who's having a scuffle with somebody who's just more of an active resistor, not an actual, you know, not somebody who's trying to bang it out with you, just a someone who's just trying to get away. And you see, you know, the inability for somebody, how they can move because they're overweight or they're not limber enough and, and so forth. Um, you know, I just never wanted to be that guy. And again, I was very fortunate, worked around guys that didn't want to be that guy, but yeah, you, you modify your equipment. I mean, I remember when, you know, during the profession, I, all of a sudden everybody started going to the, you know, the exterior carrier, the vest that everybody was wearing to get things off of your hip. Um, so in the gang unit, you know, we did that. Um, and then eventually our patrol unit started doing it as well across the department. But now at my age, even though I've just retired, still active getting into the gym. Um, you know, I do a, there's an app that I do. I have no association with them. I'm not plugging them, you know, anything like that, but it, it used to be called ROMWOD, which meant range of motion workout of the day. And now they, th- their name is now pliability, exact same thing. And it's seven days a week. And it's like, I don't know, $130 a year. And it's an app you can use on your laptop, your phone, anywhere. And my wife and I, you know, she and I do it together typically at night. And it's just, it's not, you know, yoga where you're going to learn how to, you know, stand on one foot and reach back and pull your, pull your foot over your head or anything like that. But it, it applies to what I think athletes, I think people in this profession, firemen and stuff like that, it focuses on lower back, hips, um, the spine, you know, twisting your spine and things like that. And that's what it focuses on and your shoulders. And I think anybody who's doing these type of jobs or in, you know, at, our age, my age, it's still trying to stay active. Just something as simple as that has helped tremendously. That's prevented, you know, pulling lower backs or hamstrings and so forth. Right. And if you guys want to see Sean put his leg over his head, just sign up for his OnlyFans. <laughs> that's it. You can do that. Two ninety nine a month. That's right. Um, but you know what? I can second that on Ramwad. Um, I've used Ramwad before in the past, um, and it is exactly what you said. It helps with the range of motion. It helps with movement because. Obviously, motion is lotion. Sometimes for the joints, right? It keeps things. It keeps things moving. It's a great app. It's a great. I didn't know they changed the name of it. I haven't used it in quite some time. I canceled my membership. I think probably a couple of months ago. But um, it's a great. It's you know, if you're having some injuries and you're looking to still move and still be limber, Ramwad's great. Um, yeah, I mean, it helps prevent. I mean, I think their motto. I don't. I, I don't know if it is now that they switched the pliability, but it's swollen flexi. You know, that's what they say. Be yeah. swollen flexi. And it's like, dude, makes sense to me. That's I'm super on board. Important. Like, yeah. You know, especially from like a jujitsu perspective, yeah, right? obviously mobility is, is extremely important. Strength is always good, right? Strength always is super important and is definitely necessary to be strength, you know, to be strong through those range of motions, but also, you know, you got to be able to move. You got to be mobile. You got to be agile. And I'm really, I'm really glad you harp on the fitness side of it because, um, you know, a lot of people just, it just seems to go by the wayside. They get in, they get in the academy that you know they run the three miles, they do the push ups, they do the sit ups, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, the job. The job just gets to you. The stress gets to you. The oh man, I'm off shift. I'm just gonna go home, have a beer, and and you know, have a block of cheese or whatever. That's 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 what my buddy Jeff eats, but not anymore. He does better. But good, um, good. You know, it's it, you know, it's it's kind of one of those things where hey, maybe instead of doing that, why not you know, just go to bed right? Sleep through or, you know, find a way to downregulate, then go to bed or go train jujitsu after shift, go, go for a walk, go for a walk after shift, right? Learn to downregulate. Speaking of that, what did you do? You know, obviously working gang unit, obviously you came across stressful situations, being involved with murder suspects, shootings, et cetera. 
what were, you know, what were some of the things you did to kind of downregulate to, to kind of normalize yourself after shift? You know, it, but before we hopped on and started talking, it was something I, I had mentioned to you. I, I never let the job be my identity. And I think I was good at it as being a cop. I was successful in my career. Um, but it was not like who Sean Larkin was. And so I had very close friends on an apartment that sure I hung with outside of it. But when I was outside of work and, um, and this is almost going to sound kind of cheesy, but I started going to a CrossFit gym years and years and years ago. One, I like the fitness aspect of it. Um, I like to challenge every single workout. I liked the, um, the camaraderie that was in those classes. But one of the things I really liked about it, listen, cops are a bunch of cheap motherfuckers, man. They don't want to spend money. Facts. And I mean, that is a <laughs> fact. You know, everybody wants to go eat it. Where, where can I eat half price at on duty? Where, where, what place is given free you know, meals and so forth? But, you know, CrossFit gyms aren't cheap, especially if you're going to a good one that's well coached and well managed. But the people that are going there, I was meeting engineers, attorneys, doctors, you know, you know, oil and gas is real big in Oklahoma, landmen and things like that. People from all these other different professions that just being a, a street cop, especially if you're working, you know, in one of the rougher parts of the community, you typically don't interact and meet these kind of people. And so it gave me a chance to be around a bunch of other people, not only there in the gym, but I developed friendships with these people that are my closest friends to this day are all people I've met through these, you know, through a gym. And so I started hanging out with these people outside of law enforcement. And it was just nice not, you know, of course, people want to hear police stories because everybody, you know, likes the, the excitement of the job. But you're not constantly talking department politics. You're not talking about who's, you know, sleeping with who or what supervisor did this, even when you're off duty. Um, you know, I don't want to sit and listen to you, you know, again, talk about the the foot chase you got into three months ago and the guy threw, you know, threw two guns. I, I mean, it's like, all right, I get it. So I'm not trying to sound negative. It was just, that was kind of my way was I made sure I surrounded myself with other people. Now, listen, I'm, I'm very open about it. I love playing Xbox. That's my downtime, man. That's like there you go. a couple, couple times a week, dude. I put the headset on for an hour or something like that at night. And it's just, I dumb out the world. Um, you know, I just want to get on a play Xbox. So, um, you know, things like that, in the last two years, I've taken up golf. Um, so never played golf in my life. And that's just kind of something else. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very open. I'm a big bourbon collector, but I'm not a heavy drinker. I'm a social drinker. And, you know, I don't ever get smashed ever. But if you ever find yourself in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I've got a hell of a collection. I'm like, hey, man, let's have a drink. So those are all the kind of the different things. And, and obviously spending time with family, you know. But, uh, you know, those are all the different things that kind of just have always kept me grounded. And away from, you know, I, I guess the damage that this job can do to somebody. Yeah. And I, again, I really appreciate you sharing that because I know people may not think they struggle with that, but they do, you know, and sometimes it can catch up to you before you know it. And then you don't even realize, man, I don't have any other friends besides people that I work with. And I know I have a lot of friends because of jujitsu, because of, you know, because of working out, because of business, because of, you know, so many other hobbies that I have, right. Um, or, business ventures that I have, it, it really does help open up that spectrum because you don't know what else is out there. If you get such tunnel vision, just like you do in a critical incident, sometimes you need to right. kind of take those off. And, you know, again, thank you for sharing that. One last question about training is, you know, since you're retired now, besides obviously the CrossFit stuff, are you still keeping up with firearms and tactics and all that kind of good stuff there? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not rolling or anything like that. Um, I, I, Pistol wise, yes, you know that that's pretty much it. I mean, I even just went out and bought my myself, my son, and another friend of our family ARs this year. I had three ARs built earlier this year, but uh, but I'm not out, you know, not like I was. That, I, I mean, I'm just right, I'll own that. Um, you know, I've got a lot of other things in life, but I promise you, I still carry that gun everywhere I go, and um, you know, make sure I'm proficient with it for sure. Well, I would love to have you attend one of our EFC courses, maybe do some concealed carry work. I think that, um, you know, as, as tactics change, as things change, I yeah. think that it's always good to always stay on top of, again, cause I'm not in law enforcement anymore either, but I stay on top of, you know, obviously some of my best friends are still cops and we talk about them guys on the team, guys within the companies, they're all active cops. So bringing that kind of real edge, uh, and that real world, application is still super important, but we'll have to get you to a class, even though you don't roll anymore, we can get you, 
we can get you in there and uh and definitely get you set up. But I do want to talk about the live PD stuff a little bit and kind of how you even got how they were like, we want that guy. He has great hair. We want yeah, him in. It's it's all fake, man. These are all plugs. That's right. That's so right. It's like it's little okay, chia pet hair. <laughs> by, by, by the way, we're doing this podcast. My wife and my daughter are getting ready. They're trying to sneak out. It's funny watching them walk through the house here like stealthy so they're not, you know, making noise. So you guys are doing a great job. Um, no. So the production company at the time was called Big Fish Entertainment, and they were a really, really small uh, production company out of New Jersey. And even Live PD went on the air in 2016. And I'm talking back in maybe like 2012 or so when I was supervising the gang unit, a, a email on these nationwide emails for law enforcement somehow gets passed on to me. And the production company is wanting to do a show on gang units. And they were looking for a large agency, which have been like LA, Chicago, you know, New York, Miami, something like that. A medium sized agency, which Tulsa falls into and a small agency. And they basically wanted to show, Hey, this is what gang units across the country are dealing with. So we responded back. They ended up sending a crew out and I knew nothing about TV. I've never had desire to be on TV. I didn't even have social media until these shows started. I mean, that was just not my world. But the way the industry works is somebody gets an idea for a show, they gather basically enough funding and funding, and they do what's called a sizzle. And that is basically like a pilot. And they then try to make the sizzle and then they take it to networks and let, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, they, they, they take it to networks and the network goes, man, I like this. We'll fund six episodes. And so they fund six and then they look at the ratings and then they go, okay, man, we'll fund 12 more episodes. Okay, this thing's a hit. We'll do 50. And that's how it builds. Yeah. So, I mean, I had no idea. Um, so back in 2012, they put the sizzle together and it was the, the, the guys came out and rode with this for two days in Tulsa and it was rainy and cold. And it was the wildest fucking 24 hours of police work we probably had in my unit. I mean, it was like we had a you know a foot chase with this gangster ex-con that threw a Mac-10. Uh, we had a car chase with a guy that had a, a bunch of dope. We run a search warrant on one of our gang leaders that had just gotten shot the week before. And then while we're on the scene of that, we hear shots fired from the apartment complex next to us. We roll over there and there's a woman laying. We're the first people there with a camera shot right in the forehead, just laying on the ground. So... And I was just like, yeah, this is Tulsa, Oklahoma, man. This is how the gang unit gets Welcome. down, you know? <laughs> sizzle so, this. Um, yeah, sizzle this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, again, and it's, that's very compelling television, you know, obviously. Um, and it it does dive into, because I remember when that show first came on, I was, at first, I was, I'll be honest with you, I was a little skeptical. I was sure. Like, you know, maybe the public shouldn't be seeing all of this. You know what I mean? Not saying that they should be hiding stuff, but you know, obviously judgment's going to be passed and then opinions are going to be made. And then, you know, obviously people are going to start to get upset about how sometimes law enforcement does things. And right. again, violence isn't pretty any way you look at it. Um, said, said those words this weekend, it was off camera, but it's one of the things I said. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's true. And, and that's what law enforcement is. It is, it is as controlled violence as you can get it. Right. We try yep. to, you know, obviously stay within parameters of use of force and policy and case law. But, you know, I think that, they did a very good job of, because again, it wasn't all just about crime and stopping, you know, sometimes it was like, there was some really positive messages out there. Um, so, so, so they, they start following you around and then all of a sudden you kind of. Yeah. So that was actually the first thing they want to do on gang units. It shows them called jump out boys and they tried to sell it <laughs> to the networks and, and nobody wanted it. They said, man, this is, it's just like cops, which was currently on TV. And so this was, you know, they were recorded segments that were edited and then put on TV. So it, it just fell to the wayside. Fast forward up until 2016, production company reached out to me directly and they said, hey, man, we've got new technology now. We're going to try to do this live police show that's basically like, excuse me, it's like NFL Live. You know, if you think of NFL Live, you're watching, there's a bunch of football games going on at one time and then there's studio that's bouncing between those games. And so they said, man, we're looking to do the same type of thing, but with law enforcement across the country. And so when it first started, they rode with a uh, camera rode with me on Friday nights. Um, it was a two hour show on Fridays and, uh, you know, over five or six weeks, it just started building up in, in popularity. They want to try three hours on a Friday night. And then they said, okay, we're going to try a Saturday. And then it's been every Friday and Saturday. Well, each agency basically has a contract for a certain number of episodes. The contract in Tulsa uh, was up 
Uh, we were part of season one from day one. They had never had a police officer as a guest on set. You know, someone that's done the job that can comment about procedures, policies. You know, why did a why did a cop punch this guy four times? You know, that type of stuff. And so they invited me to come be a guest in January of 2017. And I went and it just fluke deal went well. Um, the ratings were really good after that weekend. They asked me to come back the following weekend. Um, and then like two weeks after that again. And so for the remainder of up until the summer of 2017, it was just kind of regular. They would call, hey, can you come up next weekend? That type of deal. And then I ended up getting a full-time contract to be a, a part of the show and end up having you know, a spinoff show and all that. So it was just a fluke deal. I, I say right place, right time, whatever you want to call it. But it was, it was, it was not like I was like, man, I want to be on television. I'm going to seek out a way to do it. It was just a fluke deal. Yeah, and I think it's a very good approach to have someone who has law enforcement experience on a law enforcement show. I think that's also some of the problem with the media today is when they reach out to these experts uh, who have almost no law enforcement experience and they're giving their opinion to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And it's just people like, oh, wow, well, this person said this. I guess this person has no clue what they're fucking talking about, right? So good on them for hiring someone that has law enforcement experience. Now, because you were still active while you were doing the show. That's correct. Yeah. So what I was doing, oh, dude, it was a grind. Uh, And, you know, it was, you know, it it was a obviously unique opportunity. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. It it pays better than law enforcement, the job. I can imagine. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I knew as quickly as it came on, to be a huge hit. I always said, man, this thing could disappear just as fast. And, and, and ultimately it ended up happening, obviously after the George Floyd deal, but I was working Monday through. So my work schedule in the gang unit was Monday through Friday. Um, I would work Monday through Thursday um, gang unit, get off work at four o'clock, catch a five thirty flight to New York, get in Thursday night there, do live PD Friday, Saturday, fly home Sunday every week. And so I took a vacation day every Friday. And this show runs, you know, like 45 to 47 weeks a year. So it was a grind. Um, you know, at the time I was, I wasn't married. I was single dad. And so I had to get home on Sunday and it was like, cut the grass, you know, uh, wash clothes, hit the grocery store, you know, that type of stuff. And so again, it was a grind. Um, my daughter and my mom back then, um, you know, even it hit a point at one point where they were both like, Hey, we're, we're concerned about you. You look worn out. And again, it just was, it was a unique opportunity. Um, couldn't pass it up. And, it, you know, it's obviously all worked out. Well, I mean, if life was easy, everybody would do it. Right. So a hundred percent, sometimes you got to grind. Now, was there any resentment from other officers within Tulsa with you doing that show? You know, I, I that was something I was worried about, not just Tulsa. I was worried about officers, you know, guys like yourself, other people from around the country. Um, like, Part, partly when the camera was riding with me a little bit worried about it, like, you know, man, is someone going to, you know, are they going to critique my tactics? You know, uh, I'm very comfortable dealing with the guys that I'm dealing with. I think my officer safety, is, I mean, it's not perfect, but it's really good. You know, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm, I think I'm really good. Um, and then getting on set, that was the same type of thing. It's like, man, who the hell is this dude from Oklahoma? You know, why is, you know, why is he, why is he on here talking about policy or tactics and things like that? Going back to when I was uh, on the show out in patrol with a camera riding with me, I think anybody that watched the show that one, it was eye opening, like, holy shit, there's a lot of violent crime in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, the other side of it was, man, I think they were able to see, man, these guys are squared away. They know what they're doing, you know, that type of deal. Because everybody just thinks, you know, East, they think New York or LAPD. I mean, those are the two big departments. Everybody thinks they're the, the gods of policing and, um, you know, that type of deal. Within the department, I would run into people that, you know, I might worked with at a different point in my career, went to the academy with, and it was just the, the joking, what's up, Hollywood? You know, where's your, where's your entourage at? That type of stuff. But one thing, and I don't mean this in a conceited way, I know there's nobody on my own police department that can say Sean Larkin didn't bust his ass as a cop. Sean Larkin didn't, you know, he's, why is he on there? He, he's never done this shit. Um, you know, and it's, uh, so I've never worried about that aspect of it. It's anybody who's ever worked around me or worked on that department knows 
you know, I, I put the time in up until I retired, not just even when, you know, I became a part of the show. I was still kicking doors with my guys, getting in foot chases, the whole shebang, even while doing the show. And I think that's super important. Um, and, you know, to you're going to have haters anywhere you go. Uh, hey, we're cannibals, man. This, yeah, this right. profession, we're cannibals, man. We eat each other up. Which is, which is still, I've had multiple conversations with very successful in law enforcement and outside of law enforcement individuals. They say the same thing. They, you will eat your own, which is, which is mind boggling because you say, Hey, I got your back in a, a deadly force encounter, but you're going to talk shit about this person because maybe they have a second job or they're trying to start a second business or whatever the case may be. But you know what? I've, I've obviously learned, I'm sure you've learned as well, just to ignore it for the most yeah. part. And, you know, because you know, in your heart, you're doing the right thing for the right mission. And again, I'm very grateful you're on the show. Uh, I know in live PD, I've used a couple of clips from the show, not from you, not like specifically you, but just, you know, the incidents and have used those as training points. Cause obviously some of the things that people do from different parts of the country, you can definitely learn from. And I think a hundred percent, you do a great job about bringing that objective view of a situation to the show, which, um, is rare to do in, in, I guess, you know, law enforcement crime type television. Well, you know, and it, it's go back to just talking about the, the cannibal aspect of sure. it. Don't get me wrong. I know there's, you know, a couple people from my department that probably I just butted heads with long before this happened anyways. I mean, you're not going to get along with everybody, but what I've you know said about that's either one, you don't have the balls to, to get up on TV and do this or two, you're not qualified to do it. But just like you, like you said, spinning off and, and starting, you know, what you've got going on and stuff like that. I don't care if you're a cop that runs your own security business and making money. I don't care if you're a cop that's got a lawn care business that you do on the side and make money or, you know, a plumber or you work on people's cars or, you know, my fluke deal just happened to me for TV. It's like, dude, if the guy's next to you is finding that, finding another way to, to grind and make a dollar, whether it's to supplement his police income or a second career, why would you hate on that? Right. Um, but it, it makes no sense whatsoever, Zero. but they, but we do, they do, they do. Man, I, I always tell guys, if you don't have a second thing going, if you don't have a plan B or a plan C, you should. You should hundred percent, hundred percent, and that's and and the and the thing is, is you have to support somebody or at least kind of give them the you know the courage to do that because it does take a lot to say, hey, I know I'm going to spend more time. Just like you said, you were flying forty eight weeks out of the year from Tulsa to New York. You know that's that's time away from your family. It's a grind. Why would you not support somebody like that? You know, somebody that's put in the time, you know, kind of put in the work and is also a good voice for the country. I mean, you're on national television or if not worldwide television, right? So, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, it was funny. There, 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 yeah. There were people that would send messages like, do you even work anymore? You know, when I was doing the show, I'm like, you don't think this is a job? You don't think that, you know, <laughs> that I'm here working, even doing this? And, yeah. you know, I'd, you know, you can't get into a social media battle with people. And I'd kind of, they're like, you know, how do you do this every week? You know, and I was like, well, you wear these, you know, cylinder metal tubes that fly through the air and can cross the country in like four hours. You know, I can get from one place to another pretty quickly. But uh, going back to the object objectives, you know, part, obviously, that's what I love about your post you guys do is you talk about incidents and things like that. And that's one of the things when I did start on the show, I was like, listen, I, I am not here to critique tactics of police officers because on the show, I do see stuff that when we are off camera, I am pulling my hair out. I'm like, what are these guys doing? But I also understand not everybody has afforded the same training opportunities. Um, you know, that one agency is to another that not everybody seeks out private schools, you know, like yourself and things like that to, to, to be able to do it, whether it's a funding thing or they're just unaware and so forth. And again, we can keep on going on and on about it, but some of this stuff about the police reform bill, you know, they wanted this national training requirement. It's like, man, how do you take a department like Tulsa that has, you know, a sales safety tax and 800 plus officers with multiple helicopters and all this type of stuff. And you require a police department in Podunk, Oklahoma, that has maybe two cops, three cops. How do you expect us to have the same training? You can't. You, you just can't. I mean, can't. it's, would it be fantastic? Of course, but it's just, it's impossible. Yeah, it is impossible. And I, I, this is the thing is yes. Like the defunding is still happening in some areas, but the capabilities of training, obviously there's online training. There's, there's 
Instagram, you can learn a lot from Instagram, you know, a hundred percent, you know, obviously there's, there's things you can't learn from Instagram and things you can, but you know, it's also, it's also about the initiative. Just like we talked about you, like you have to want to seek it out, right? You may have, you know, the chief may also be the detective at your agency, but that chief can also train jujitsu. He can go to the range. He can seek out opportunities. Maybe he can only send one officer a year to one training, but that's, that's huge, right? Well, yeah. And, 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 you know, look for, you know, whether you're, like I said, meeting people through Instagram. Hell, that's how you and I met. 100%. That's it. Strict, strictly through here. I've met numerous cops through Instagram, um, you, you know, that because I'm on the road, I've run into, I've had a lunch with, you know, that type of stuff. But even if you're working for a smaller agency, dude, meet somebody from a nearby agency. If they've got a training deal, a lot of departments, man, you know, you can get some sort of an MOU worked out that, Hey, come on over. We, we, we've got room for one guy that could come take this two day, whatever we have going, you know, there, there's things like that out there. People, there are people that want to train others in this profession still, you know, so you, you just have to seek it out and find out where it's at. Yeah. Did you guys, did you guys offer a lot of training? Cause obviously I've been to Oklahoma. I've been, I drove around. There were some places where I was like, there's nothing out here. There's yeah. absolutely zero out here. Do you guys offer, uh, other agencies to come in and come train with you guys? We do, you know, and, and it depends what it is. Like I know for some of our departmental in-service stuff, um, you know, occasionally they'll let somebody who's missed something from the state academy or something like that. Now our basic police academy is strictly just Tulsa police officers. Um, our annual firearm qualifications are strictly Tulsa police officers, but a lot of the, you know, secondary type stuff will usually have spot that they'll allot for a certain number of Tulsa police officers in it. And then they have a certain number of spots for other agencies and you get people throughout the state that can, you know, apply for it and, and, and attend. Yeah. I, and again, there's also a lot of free training. I know that Fletzy uh, is all over the country. They offer free training for law enforcement, medical active shooter training, stuff like that. I can't attest for, you know, the quality of the training. Sure. Um, but I, I do know that there is free training available. You know, Sean, when it comes down to it, you getting into law enforcement, serving 20 years, and now, I mean, I would consider you a subject matter expert as it pertains to national television and, you know, kind of law enforcement. What does the future hold for All Patrol Live? Are you guys going to keep doing what you're doing? Is there anything you can uh, tell the listeners? You know, man, I think, uh, listen, the show, despite it being on a smaller network, the ratings are very good. It's typically the number one non-sports or news program on TV on Friday and Saturday nights on cable television. So uh, I think it's going to, it's going to, you know, far as I know, keep going, keep riding it out. And I don't know if there'll be any other type of spinoff programs, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I hosted one previously that was called PD cam, which just kind of, I was the talking head that showed, I mean, honestly, very similar to like what you do with Instagram, you know, it's showing incidents around the country. And uh, I was just kind of the talking head that just basically walked through and explained what was happening. I don't know if there's talk of something like that, but the law enforcement genre is, you know, people love it. And I mean that from obviously a, unedited live show like on patrol live to your NCIS, you know, or whatever your movies are and things like that. So the genre will never go away. People will always have an interest in it. Um, I think there will always be some type of programming geared towards it, but even for people that are not supporters of law enforcement, people that think we're the worst people on earth, I think a show like on patrol live, what it does is it allows the viewer, a family or something like that to sit at home and watch it. And they can have discussions about what goes on out there. They can, they can discuss the job. Even they don't have to agree with everything. They don't have to agree with, you know, something I say, but at least allows them to see what's really happening because you and I both know the isolated incidents that happen across the country that everybody jumps on board. Even when they first happen, the full story is not even out all the time and everybody gets on board on it. And, and I mean, we'll talk about the incident that happened in Columbus, Ohio last year. You know, the officer shows up on a the, the disturbance out there and there is a black female that charges another black female with a knife and the cop shoots and kills the girl. I mean, what do you expect him to do? But, you know, right away, I mean, you know, not to name drop, but like LeBron James posted a picture of that, that officer and just wrote next, you know, and everybody's out there protesting. It's like, 
man, you need to sit, people need to sit back and just look at the facts of what happened instead of the emotion of it, of it all. Because that scenario, the, the, nothing should have mattered in that. I mean, if that was a, you know, the cop had shot, you know, a suspect that was a white guy wearing, you know, some Republican hat or something like that, everybody be applauding the cop for doing it. And it's like, the facts don't change. It is what it is, you know? And, and just as you and I said, violence isn't pretty. And, and this job does require violence at times to protect other people. And that's what that officer did. So I kind of went off on a tangent there, but the whole point of it is, I think it allows people at home to understand, hey, when you see, you know, this small cell phone clip of two cops punching a guy on this show, at least people get to understand that when an officer stops a car, walks up to it with a camera there that saw the traffic violation, hey man, I stopped you because you ran that red light. Hey, but you know, oh, you don't have a driver's license. Oh, I smell weed in the car. Hey, man, I need you to step out of the car. And then all of a sudden a fight happens. Well, they see how it gets to that point. Cops just aren't walking around, stopping people, pulling them out of the car and, <laughs> and beating their ass. You know what I mean? Right. It just doesn't yeah. happen. So right. that's the, you know, what I hope, you know, one of, one of the things that I hope viewers, you know, even people that are not pro-police that can sit at home and they get a better understanding of this job. Because it's a tough job, man. It's it tough. Is, it is a very difficult job and, and it is a very complex job. And that's where a lot of people that don't have that law enforcement experience. And again, I do agree with you. I think it does a great, a great service of just showing a little bit of the 70 plus million interactions law enforcement has a year in this yeah. country. And you guys are only showing 10, right? Like, yeah, yeah, and that's, and that's, and that's the thing is they're not all violent. They're not all bad. Some, of course, People aren't calling cops because, hey man, come check out this barbecue. Like it's that's it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Johnny came home with straight A's. I want you yeah, to come, come see on, his yeah. report card. Let's let's go celebrate. Run code three. You know, you know that's yep. just not how it works. And you know, as it pertains to the public viewing law enforcement, as it pertains to investigations and use of force documentation, just like you said, there's so much collection that goes into one use of force incident, especially you know something like George Floyd or something like that incident in Columbus, Ohio, where I did multiple breakdowns because, again, the majority of my audience is probably the general public and they follow because of the videos. Right. And, and, and my goal is to almost make it so dumb that they understand. And it's not an attack saying that they're dumb, but I have to make it coloring book version of saying this person had a knife. The officer's job is to protect himself and others yep. from serious great bodily harm or death. Right. And that's what he did in that situation. That's it. That's the only that's thing it. he did. That was he, it. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. And now, you know, just like you said, people like LeBron James who have no experience in law enforcement, zero experience in violence. If he does get touched, he falls down and cries, right? Right, so you know right. That goes. But it's just, it's just one of those things where this, this is why the importance of good training, good information, what you do, having that experience on that show with you being on there is, is a good thing. Because now you can say, hey, look, this is what happened. These are the facts. You may not like it per your opinion, but if we object it, that's why I do. If we objectively look at the situation and the law and then use of force policy, this is the result that could come of it. And obviously, you and I have talked offline about, you know, if, if there's a mess up, there's a mess up, right? It's got yeah, to be adjusted. Happens. There's got to be accountability. Yep. It happens. It does. I mean, you know, in, in the, the levels of mess up sometimes are small and it's a training issue. You know, obviously there's times where it's enormous and, you know, and, and, <laughs> and cities know, life. Can, yeah. The city's burned. Someone's life can be taken and, you know, you end up in prison. But I mean, the, the whole process of, uh, you know, our court system here applies to us as police officers as well. It's like, man, you know, something happens. Let's let the court process play out. And I, I mean, I, I know we got to wrap this up both for yourself and mine, but you know, we're, we've kind of become at a place and I think it's better been, it's been better here, you know, the latter part of this year, but you go back two years, it's like, we're not affording to law enforcement, the same thing that people expect law enforcement to afford others. You know, it's like, you know, man, I'm let all the facts come out. I'm innocent, you know, that type of stuff. And it's just, you, you have to let it play out and actually see what happened, get the whole story before you start jumping to conclusions. I agree, brother. And uh, Sean, I appreciate you coming on. Um, where can people find you? Obviously on On Patrol on Reels, but where else can they yep. find you? Yep, man. So On Patrol Live every Friday and Saturday night on the Reels channel, R-E-E-L-Z. 
Um, I'm on Instagram under Sean. I think it's underscore C underscore Larkin. I'm on Twitter. I'll be honest. I don't really use Twitter. I'm just on it. Um, I've, there is a podcast that I have out there that I have stopped doing just because my schedule was so busy, but it's called Cocktails and Cocktails. Um, you can still find that out there on Spotify, Apple, and, and so forth. And hell, I got a book out there. I mean, I've done a little I bit did. of everything. So yeah, I got a book out there. It's called uh, Breaking Blue, The Real Life Stories of Cops Falsely Accused. So it's about cops that get accused of things they have not done wrong. And it kind of goes through the breakdown of everything. So it's a it's an eye opener as well. Yeah. Um, if you had to leave the listeners with one piece of advice, what would that one piece of advice be? Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot. Well, listen, last I'll, question. I, this is it. Well, I will say this for again, for those that are in law enforcement that do listen, I'm gonna go back to what I said earlier. Love this job, man. You're going to meet some of the best guys and, uh, you know, and women around you. This is not your identity. There is life outside of this job. Remember that. Last thing I have for everybody else, it's something I even tell my kids, you will go through your whole life and have a lot of acquaintances. You will have very few true friends. Keep that in mind, man. You don't get your feelings hurt when something, you know, someone stabs you in the back. You'll have very few true friends in life, a whole lot of acquaintances. Amen. I can second that. Sean, thank you so much for your time, brother, and we'll talk soon. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Yes, 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 sir.